Good morning, everybody. How are y'all doing? Y'all doing all right? Hey, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Tyler Jagan. I'm the lead pastor here at River Run. And today we're finishing up our series um, called Make the Most of What You've Been Given. In fact, it's one of our culture statements here at River Run. Make the most of what you've been given. The idea is is that, you know, if God of the universe who created all things, who knows all things and loves us deeply and dearly, gives us things by which uh, will help us to grow in our relationship with him, grow in our own maturity and our own spiritual walk, wouldn't we want to make the most of what that God who knows all things has given us? And so as a church family, that's kind of what we want to do. We want to be a people who makes the most of what God has, has given us. And so there's kind of like you know, three things to kind of unpack with that. First of all, what is it the things, what are the things that God has given us? Second of all is, you know, how do we use the things that God has given us? And third and lastly is, hey, let's leverage this thing. Let's use it, you know, uh, let's make the most of it. So if you're new, uh, one of these journeys that we're going to be doing this whole year is going to be wrapped around this idea of making the most of what you've been giving. And so during this year, some of you are going to find some things that God has given you because he loves you. For some of you, you're going to say, well, I kind of already know this, but you've never really used them. Uh, and so hopefully maybe this is the year that you use it. Or maybe you've grown up in church and we've said these things and you, you agree with some of this stuff and you kind of go, well, okay, I get all that. But maybe you've never really used it to the full extent that God meant for you to use it. Because we believe that if we really make the most out of everything that God has given us, it would radically change our lives. And we would have an amazing influence in the lives of our family, our community, where we work, all of these things, if we truly made the most of what we have been given. This idea isn't something that we came up with. This is something that was um, uh, kind of given to us through Peter. Um, he wrote in his second letter, kind of this letter that he wrote at the end of his life, um, in, in 2 Peter 1, 3, this is what he said. He said, by his divine power, God has given us, as past tense, God has given us, it's been given to us already. God has given us what? Everything, right? Say it with me, everything. God has given us everything we need. God has already given you everything you need for living a godly life. What does it mean to live a godly life? It just simply means that we live a life that kind of images that of God, where God is wise and God is loving, God is strong, all the attributes of God, that God has already given us all that we um, need in order to live a wise, loving, fulfilled, flourishing life. And we received all of this, all right, by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and his excellence. Now, we kind of talked about this before, that this is a letter that was written by him towards the end of his life. And one of the things, if you go and read through scripture and you read some of the works of people uh, throughout history who, who write things at the end of their life, we should like take pause and we should really listen to them. Because there's a lot of leaders who left things right at the end of their life to basically say to the next generation, hey, you know what? I'm leaving, but here's the deal. You have everything you already need. You're going to be fine, okay? Because great leadership is not about my great leadership. Great leadership, you already have it. It's God. It's just up to you whether you follow him or not. We see that with Moses did that in Deuteronomy, in his work on Deuteronomy. We see that with Paul did that in his second letter to Timothy, kind of prepping him, getting him ready, you know, for Paul's departure. Hey, so you know what? 
Timothy, it's fine. You have God. Not only that, but you already have scripture as well. You already have the things that you need. We see that with Jesus himself, what what is called the upper room discourse. It's like that last you know, few hours before he was going to be uh, arrested. He had all of his disciples, his, you know, his core disciples with him that evening. And he gave them kind of final words. Hey man, you got to be ready because I'm leaving. And every single time when you look through that, you got to read it through the lens of like saying, hey, we're going, but here's the deal. You're not left alone because God is with you. And God has equipped you with everything that you need for godly living. And so we kind of started off this series. Caleb started it off a few weeks back where he talked about, well, what are some of the gifts that God has given us? What are some of the everythings? God has given us his inspired word of God. Deus Neustos, the God breathed word. That God gave us this wonderful gift of not just, you know, leaving us alone to try to figure him out. In fact, the more that we try to figure God out without God, the more that we tend to, you know, get God even, uh, we get God wrong, you know? And, but God has given us an incredible, beautiful treasure called the scriptures. And it's in that when we look through it, we see all the other things that God has given us. And we talked about how God has given us the best resource for living this life. Do you know what the best resource that you have in living this life? is God himself. Think about it. You have, and when, you know, when you gave your life to Christ, if you've given your life to Christ, it talks, the scripture talks about how God indwells us through his Holy Spirit that we have the opportunity to be able to talk to the God of the universe. Think about it. We have at our disposal, the person who knows all things, the most powerful person, the, 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 the wisest person, the most loving person. What would happen if we made the most of that relationship? Don't you think that would really change our lives if we leveraged that relationship above, far and above all other relationships? And then last week I talked about how another gift that God has given us is eternal life. What if we leverage that and made the most out of the fact that we are eternal? Or as Caleb was saying earlier, every single day we get to get up. Did you know every single day we get to get up? If you're a follower of Christ, you get to get up and basically say, you know what? I don't know what today's gonna, what's gonna happen today, but I do know two things. That's what Caleb was saying, two anchors in my life that no matter what goes on today, I know these two truths. Number one, God loves me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. And he loves me. So no matter what happens today, I know I'm loved. I know I'm valued by the God who created me. And number two, no matter what happens today, I have eternal life. What an amazing gift. Well, today we're going to look at another gift that God has given us. Uh, He's given each one of us and he's given all of us together. He has given us this amazing gift called an eternal family. Okay. Now, You may say, well, isn't that kind of the same thing as church? Well, kind of, but one of the things is that when you read throughout scripture and you you really kind of understand what was going on in that first couple of few centuries. And back in the first few centuries, when they thought about church, they thought about it very different than we do. I wanted to use this idea of eternal family because I think it was a little bit less, has a little bit less baggage than when we think about church. And when we think about church, we think about a worship service or we think about a building, we think about programs, um, we think about, you know, um, you know, all of these kind of things uh, where in the first century, uh, they thought about it very differently. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have programs, but they had each other. They had an eternal family. Kind of give you an example of this. About uh, 177 AD, there was a guy named Sanctus who was arrested. 
And when he was arrested, his interrogator started asking him all of these questions. And he asked him the questions, what is your name? By which Sanctus shouted out, I am a Christian. That's what he said. I am a Christian. Are you a slave or are you a free man? I am a Christian. Where are you from? I am a Christian. Every single question that the interrogator asked him about who he was, he simply said, I am a Christian. In the first few centuries, when it came to their identity and their ethnos, their people, their their family, their their background, I am a Christian. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, you know, All that matters, Paul says in Colossians 3, all that matters is Christ. I am a Christian. I am a Christian. By which there was this bond of unity within the early church of we are a family. And as people like Sanctus who would end up dying because they were a follower of Jesus Christ, they felt a sense of strength in their kinship of their brothers and sisters in Christ in different places connected in different places, whether it's in Jerusalem or Rome or Asia Minor, that we are in this together because we follow a Lord who is willing to die for us because he loves us to, to bring us back into a relationship with him forever. So there's a sense of this new family. They were born into a new family that was so strong. You know, one of the things of, you know, about the, uh, the first century and the 21st century church um, you know, there's, we are alike and we're also different. See, in, in the first few centuries, uh, those believers, those, those Christians, they needed each other. And you know what? They knew it. They knew that we need each other. Well, in the 21st century, it is true that we need each other. But what's different is oftentimes we don't believe it or we don't really know it. We need each other. We are a family. To be born again into this relationship with a father is also to be born into a relationship with other kids of his. We are not an only child. None of us in here are an only child. We are a family. And we know that sometimes being in a family is messy and it's hard and it's difficult, but there's also something very glorious about a family that comes together, especially a family that comes together with God as our father and sustainer of our family. In fact, uh, the late uh, Professor Emeritus of Philosophy at University of Southern California, Dallas Willard, kind of to paraphrase what he said, he said, the aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive family where God is our, is our father, the central figure of our family and sustainer of our family. I am a Christian. We are Christians to our identity. Paul wrote, um, you know, in the, back in the first century, Paul wrote a letter to a, a group of Christians uh, and to remind them of the family that they had become. It's in Ephesians chapter one, verse five, and this is what he says here. He says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. I love the language there that Paul uses. God, Paul doesn't just use the, you know, you know, God decided in advance to adopt me into his family. 
This idea of us and we. God decided in advance to adopt us into this same family by bringing us to himself through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That through God's forgiveness of meeting out justice upon Jesus, God brought us back into restoration of not just in a relationship with him, but also into a restorative relationship with one another as a family. And you know what? This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure to bring us together into his family. So why should we make the most out of our eternal family? Well, you know, there's a few things that God does as, you know, and uses us together as a church family. One of the things that God does when it comes to us and leveraging our family together is he uses our family together to become more like Jesus Christ. In fact, here, the family works together to become like Jesus. So there's another thing is, is that we are in a family. One is to enjoy the relationships, you know, that we were created to have with one another and with our God. But God also uses each other and uses us, each one of us, not just the pastors, but all of us to become like Jesus Christ. So I'm going to kind of hone in on a little passage here in that same letter of Paul in, in Ephesians. I'm going, to, I'm going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to kind of go through 11 through 16. Uh, you can open up your, your Bible if you have it or on your phone or whatever, or you can click on the QR code in front of you and you'll see all of those there, or you can just watch it or, you know, just see the slides behind me. But in this, what we will see is God, how God leverages and uses our relationships together. And one of the most powerful ways that he uses our relationships together is to make us more like Christ. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul writes, he says, Now these gifts, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Okay, I'm not going to get into all the details of what are all these different and how they're all different and all that sort of stuff. Um, but what I want to do is I want to hone in on what all of these all of these people do because they all have a singular common function. Okay. And so what is that singular common function of all of these um, people here? Well, he, he says the very next verse in verse 12, he goes on, he says their responsibility as a pastor, this is my responsibility. What's my responsibility? My responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. My job, my job, my responsibility before God and before you guys is to equip you for the work, for God's work, not my work, for God's work, okay? And to build up the church. Now, remember what I said earlier. The way that we think about church is very different than the way they thought about church in the first century. Oftentimes in the years that I've been in church, when I've looked at this verse, I've, I've kind of thought of it through the lens of the 21st century. So the pastor, what the pastor does is he equips us to go and run a children's ministry, run a student ministry, run a singles ministry, run a seniors ministry, do this kind of ministry, do that ministry. And so the pastor, what they do is get everybody together and we do all these different kinds of ministries. And that's kind of their job in order to build up the church which is the local church, which is River Run, and make River Run bigger so that more people come and it gets bigger, all right? That's kind of what we kind of think about. But in the first century, they, they didn't think of those. In the first century, there was no youth ministry. There was no children's ministry. There was no singles ministry. There was no seniors ministry. There was no online ministry. There was just people together. Like you and I, you look around, all the diversity, and we're just family gathering together opening up the scriptures to encourage one another to, 
to pursue Jesus and to learn from Jesus and to learn what it means to, to live in this relationship as God is the, the center of it. It's very different. Think about it. They, if they were to drop into our world right now, they would think that Man, this is very, very different. Okay? Because they saw it in a very more just simplistic kind of way. In fact, the very next verse in verse 13, Paul goes on. He says, this will continue. Okay, what's going to continue? Pastors equipping the people to do the work, to do God's work, and the building up the church. It's going to continue to win. We are all, you know, until we all, all of us, you, me, every single one of us, come to such unity. Come to what unity? We've talked about this before here at River Run. To Tyler's unity? No. Whose unity? Well, in our faith, okay, in our knowledge of who? God's son. Our unity. We work together, all of us. It's not just me, but all of us, okay? I equip you to, to, to do the work. And what is the work? The work is to bring the unifying factor of each other's lives. So that way we would encourage each other and spur one another on to, to faithfulness to God, to trust God, and to learn about God through Jesus Christ, to learn about him. That's what we do. We keep working together, okay? The work, God's work, is working together to remind us of our unity and that our Father is our, our unifying factor. Our love for Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us is our unity factor. Our faith and trust in him is our unity factor. Our understanding and knowledge of, of who he says he is and how he thinks and how he loves and how he you know, um, processes and thinks about how we are to interact in life with each other and with our culture. Okay, That's what we do together. That's a together project. We do this, every single one of us together. That we, with a goal in mind. And what's the goal in mind? To be mature in the Lord. What does it mean to be mature in the Lord? Well, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. That we would think of the world and others and God like Christ does. That we would, as Jesus himself said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. That we would learn the full standard of measure of, of loving others as Christ has loved us, even in our own failings, in our own you know, sin and junk, that he loves us so much. That we look at Christ and we see how he served and, you know, and, you know, how... You know, sometimes we kind of think about, uh, you know, kind of complaining, you know, like, man, you know, the 20% of the people do 80% of the work, right? You know, 20% and nobody's doing anything, blah, 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 blah. Until, until God comes along and reminds us, you know what? I sent my son, Jesus Christ, to do the one thing that nobody could ever do or would ever do. And we go, okay, that's the full measure of standard of Jesus Christ, that I would be willing to go and love and serve exactly the same way that my my Savior did for me. And we do this together, inspiring, encouraging, and teaching each other to do this. And so he goes on in, in um, verse um, here, and um, this is a quote from a guy named Greg Hawkins. Greg Hawkins was a executive pastor uh, of one of, at the time, I think it was like the third largest church in America. It was running about 25,000 people and Greg Hawkins used to work for this consulting firm called McKinsey, and it's kind of like the, the Cadillac of business con, uh, consultants. And he kind of left that to join the church, and, and one of the things that he kind of began to 
feel a wrestling about is how do, how do people grow? How do people move from far away from Christ to close to Christ? How do people make that move? And so he kind of used his, 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 um, the things that he taught or learned at McKinsey to do a vast, huge study over a thousand churches to see what is it that makes people mature in Christ? What is it, how do people grow in their relationship with Christ? And this was a church of 25,000 and they had about a thousand different, and I'm not exaggerating, different programs and ministries within their church. Okay. And one of the things that he found within their own church of 25,000, that they weren't doing a really good job helping people move closer to God. There were a lot of people in their church who were happy because they had their little clubs and their little groups and things like that, but they weren't really growing. They became consumers and dependent upon all of these different kinds of programs and things, but they were always kind of discontent, dissatisfied, and never really growing. Because he found that these programs weren't necessarily the things that caused the growth in our lives. In fact, this is what he said here. He said, unfortunately, through doing, after doing all these studies of all these churches and being part of probably the church that really kind of started the movement of affinity groups and, and affinity ministries, he said, unfortunately, churches often make things harder by obscuring the goal. And what is the goal? To become more like Christ. Amen. With a complicated assortment of activities, when the church incessantly promotes all the things people should do, it's very easy for them to lose the sight of the real goal. What's the real goal? Which is who they are should become. And who should we become? Like Jesus. Amen. Jesus. Another guy named A.W. Tozer kind of put it this way. He said, the simplicity which is in Christ is really found among us. The simplicity of the early church is really found among us. Just a group of people getting together, opening up scriptures, teaching one another, encouraging each other to, to trust the Lord and, and to walk in his ways, to now, he goes, and in its stead now, our programs, methods, organizations, and a world of nervous activities which occupy time and attention but can never satisfy the longing of the heart. I don't know when Tozer wrote this, but he died in 1963. This could be written today, could it not? So one of the things of just being, and I've been in churches, you know, uh, I was part of a church that we grew from 300 to 2,000 in five years like that. We had lots of programs, lots of programs. But one of the things I recognized over the years, we really didn't see much spiritual formation and spiritual growth. The elders that we had didn't come from inside our church. They were fortunately came from other churches that did discipleship that would come and help give some sanity to the craziness of what is so busy and so crazy. People loved it. People loved all the programs that we did. But in the incessant busyness and the stress, people were getting frustrated because they were getting burned out and they were getting tired. People were getting, feeling discontent because they couldn't find the ministry that would make, you know, that would help them and all that. And so you have this, which has been kind of the, piece of America history over the last 40 years. How are we doing with that? We have better programs in the church than the 2,000 years that the church has had existence. How are we doing? Not so good, because I think that sometimes we forget the simplicity of being a family that just gathers together to give grace as we have received grace from the Lord, to love one another, to persevere with each other, as a family, to teach one another the things of Jesus Christ, who is our head of our church, and to remind us to, to, follow, to follow him.
So the other thing that God does and how he leverages our family together and us coming together is to give each other that kind of clarity, okay? That we would come together and, and help us to really understand Jesus and, and why we should follow Jesus and what does it mean to have clarity to, to follow Jesus so that way we can together become strong. Amen. Because Paul goes on and he says this in this next verse here in verse 14. He says, hey, we're going to come together. We're going we're gonna to work together to become stronger together in our faith and with our understanding of God's son, Jesus Christ. So that way we, you and I together, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. In other words, what Paul is saying is that we, a family, as a family, we have each other's back. Amen. You know, sometimes I get you know, really grieved to see how much the church just beats up on each other, you know, out of pride and arrogance. I know you're a fool. You should know all these sort of things. And what we see from Paul is just this idea that we are here to help each other be strong. We are here to help each other in our blind spots. We are here to help each other not to be duped by the stuff in this world that will drag us away to a place of brokenness and hurt and dissatisfaction in our lives that will move us away from God and from one another. That we together as a family help each other to stay strong as we not find our strength in ourselves because we're not that strong, we find and remind ourselves of our strength that we have in the strong one, in Jesus Christ. And so, then he says this in verse 15. Instead, what will we do? We'll speak, and we'll speak the truth, clarity. Clarity is important for us for, to, to, you know, to grow. But how do we speak? What's the aim of speaking? It's to give truth and love. Why? Because we're in this together. Why? Because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Why? Because we all get duped. Why? Because we all get distracted. Why? Because we need each other. And so to have empathy for one another because we're in this together. So instead we speak the truth in love with an aim of what? Being right? Making you feel like you're stupid? No, because there's one thing I love about Jesus Christ. Does Jesus know everything? Sure he does. But one of the things you don't read in the Gospels, and which is the writings of Jesus' life, you don't see Jesus walking around going, you're an idiot because you don't know what you're talking about. You're an idiot because you don't know what you're talking about. You're an idiot because you don't know what you're talking about. I mean, he could do that all day long because, yeah, we are idiots and we don't know what we're talking about a lot of times. But in his grace, he has an aim in our lives to bring a trusting relationship with, with us by which we would be more open to listen to him and to his good wisdom for our, our benefit and our relationship with him, that we would grow in every way more and more, again, here we see it, like Jesus Christ, who's the head of his body, the church. And also we are to work together uh, in order to love and to grow in our love. And goes on in the next verse here in Ephesians, chapter 4, verse uh, 16. He, God, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. All these differences, all of us in here, we are all diverse. And this is the beautiful thing about God. God understands and created us for diversity and unity. 
okay? They, and so when we get those things mixed up, that's where the chaos and the pain kind of happens in our lives. Where do we find unity? We find unity in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Where do we find unity? Our need for a savior. Where do we find unity? And um, learning and, and learning about Jesus Christ. Where do we find our diversity? Each one of us is created differently, okay? Which is beautiful. And the reason why God creates differently is so that way we can enjoy not only diversity, but the, but the differences in each other's lives. What a blessing that is, our diversity. But each one of us has a special work to do. What is the special work? Is the special work to make me feel good about myself? Like, look at me, look at my special gift. I'm amazing. No, it's to help others grow to know Jesus. It's the pouring out of saying, God, this is the way that you made me in order to serve other people, to help them to grow in their faith and understanding of who you are, by which we find unity as you, as our head, as our church, of our church. And he goes on, so that, the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. In a different letter that Paul wrote in Colossians, he says in Colossians 3.13, he says, let the message of Christ, okay, let the message of Christ uh, dwell in you richly, right? Okay, as you teach and counsel one another with all wisdom that he gives, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thanksgiving. I love that idea because really the idea here is that we are teaching each other, we are counseling each other, we're encouraging each other to a place by which we are praising God. Thank you, Lord. Have you ever been somewhere where you're with people and they're teaching each other, but it feels so arrogant and so demeaning and judgmental that it actually feels like it's sucking the life out of you? The idea that Paul has is that we come together in love for one another by which we are encouraging each other and learning from each other about Christ and why we should trust him, put our faith in him in a way that brings out, yeah, it does challenge us, but brings out within us ultimately this place of praise God. You are so good. And we do that together, growing and full of love for one another. And lastly, let me just say the family God put us together and why we should make the most of our family because we need each other to remember, <laughs> to remember. All right. Most of the things in my life, it's not so much that I need to learn new stuff. And most of it is I just need to remember the things that I forgot. Probably one of the, my favorite um, um, verses in scripture that really kind of solidify with me what it means to be a, a people a family, and what is the purpose of this family, this eternal family that we're a part of, comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verses uh, 24 and 25, where the writer says, let us think of ways, let us together, that's an us thing, it's not a me thing, it's not a you thing, it's an us thing. Let us, all of us, think of ways to motivate one another, each one of us. So let us be people who motivate all of us to acts of love and good works. Okay? And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. Why does he say, let's not neglect meeting together? Why? Because we need each other. We need to get clarity. We need to understand that God loves us. And we need to remember all the, the things that God has called us to do. To, to remember that, man, we need to spur each other on towards love and good deeds. Man, we need, to, we need to help, you know, remind us that, hey, no matter what goes on in this world, we're eternal, man. We're good, you know? And so 
He says, get together because you need that encouragement. You need that love. You need that spurring on, the motivation to continue to be faithful and, 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 and you know, to Christ. And encourage means to give courage, to be around people that give you courage. I believe one of the reasons why sanctists can sit there and just say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. You're trying to peg me to all of these things. I count all of those things as rubbish because all I am, I am just a Christian. Like all my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I believe that the reason why he could stand there before that interrogator and just say, I love you and you can kill me, but I'm still a Christian. You can't take that away from me because that's who I'm going to be forever. I believe that probably one of the reasons why he felt that strength was because he was not alone. He's had other brothers and sisters in Christ that encouraged him, gave him courage to continue to be faithful to God. So as we kind of, you know, move into this place of, you know, just response to this, I want us to take this time and, you know, we have the communion over there on those sides there. One of the things about communion is, why do we take communion? It's to remember Why do we need to remember? Because we forget that Jesus Christ loves you and gave his life for you. To make you born again into a new life with a new family. New family with a heavenly father and a new family around you. So I hope that when you get up and you walk around, you walk around amongst family and you celebrate that together as a family. In the back there, we have those, you know, our offering baskets. And if God just kind of leads you and, and, um, you know, moves you to say, you know what? I want to be part of this family and this family movement into the lives of, of my brothers and sisters here and into the, our community by which everybody needs a family. We were born for a family. We were reborn for a family. You can take opportunity for that. And at the same time, we'll have our elders and their wives up here at the front as well. That prayer, yes, it's great for you to pray with God, as two or, to get, two or three are gathered together, who's with us? The Lord is with us. And here's a wonderful opportunity to do some withing, to pray with some people who would love to pray with you. Let me pray. Father, I'm so grateful that you have given us everything that we need. You've given us these incredible gifts. And so I ask God that you would continue to help us to sift through what are the things that we need and what are the things that are kind of nice, but we don't really need them. We do know that we need you so desperately. We know that we need your word. We know that we need that security of knowing that we are yours forever. And we know that we need each other as you, as a family, as you, as a center of that family. God, we are not a perfect family by any stretch of the imagination, and you know that. But that's why you brought us together, to learn about grace, learn about perseverance, learn about how to truly love others the way that you have loved us. And God, I have no doubt as we work on our own marriages and we work on our relationships within our own family, you make us stronger. I believe the same is true. As we continue to work on our relationships here as a church family, you'll make us stronger. And God, I pray too that you would just instill within our hearts that we would continue to work together 
until we come to such a place of unity, of our faithfulness in you, of our knowledge and understanding of you, by which we become to the complete and full standard of your son, Jesus Christ. (laughs) God, we got a lot of work to do. But in that work, instead of getting frustrated, let us take this journey in such a way that enjoys the grace that you have given us by which we can live within each other to remind each other that first and foremost, the core, we're family. We have the same father. We have the same son, Jesus Christ, our eldest brother. We have the same promises. And so, Father, just continue to work that through in our lives today, tomorrow, and through the rest of this year until the rest of time until you come back. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.